Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And welcome in to Crossed Up. The season is over, Bob Wankel. It is officially over, and the Phillies finished 81-81. and 81. No, no winning season, no losing season, just a disappointing season. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel here on Crossed Up, Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. And Bob... We're going to break it all down today. We're going, to, we're going to spend the first 20 minutes just kind of doing a quick rehash of a lot of things going on with the Phillies. Uh, their manager is still in, in his has, still has his job as of right now. The general manager still has his job. President still has his job. We thought there might be some news but by the time we came on the air, but no. Um, and then uh, we're going to have Scott Lauber from the Philadelphia Inquirer on uh, midway through the program. And then we're going to rehash some of our early season predictions. And we're going to see how well we did or did not do. Uh, with the stuff that we did back in March, but, uh, but it was it was so sad listening <laughs> to that. We, I went back and listened to it today, and I was trying to take notes on what we said back on. Uh, I guess it was March 27th. It was the day before opening day that yep. we recorded it, and uh, we were just so optimistic. We we're like, baseball's back. The Phillies are relevant. You know how optimistic we were. We were so optimistic that two days later. We recorded another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like that, we were like, "This team's going to be awesome. Yeah, this is great." Three and zero, four and zero, opening night there in uh, in Washington. Oh, uh, yeah. So I mean, listen, I kind of feel relieved. <laughs> I don't know if uh, I guess I'll let you know how the season went. It was yeah. just a complete study of mediocrity. Uh, I I was at the stadium on both Saturday and Sunday, uh, watching them finish the season and. I just the, the sense was I think from pretty much everybody, the people that were in the stands, people working for the team, people in the clubhouse. I just think there was a sense of, thank God it's over, you know. Yeah. And that that was my my biggest takeaway of the weekend, and certainly the story that everybody was chasing over the course of the weekend was, will Gabe Kapler be this team's manager, uh, you know, moving into next season and. Here we are, 5 o'clock Monday afternoon, and there really is no more clarity on this front. And it's – I don't really know what to make of it, to be perfectly honest Is with it you. possible, Bob, that the Phillies screw this up? Well, I, it, I, it, it depends what the outcome is that you believe is is the screwed-up outcome, I guess. Well, I mean, here's my – the way I – the reason I'm asking that question is this. You have to know, if you're the Phillies, one way or the other – whether you want to fire the manager after this season or you want to bring him back next season. You can't reach this point and be like, eh, not sure. I mean, you have to have a feeling. You have to, you have, to have a take or internally. Yeah, and we've seen other teams have this feeling React. have come to this decision already. Right. You see the Angels, the Pirates, the, the, the Cubs. Cubs. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know. I don't know if there's some other shoe that they're waiting to – to have drop in this situation. I don't know if the conversations are still ongoing. You know, listen, I'll say this. Talked to a lot of people down there yesterday, and nobody really seemed to know. There was this feeling that 
the likely outcome is that they'll probably part ways with him. But nobody really had it solid. Yeah. And they've been very tight-lipped about it. And the longer it goes on, I guess my feeling was up until maybe about two or three weeks ago that he would be back. And then I started to kind of turn on it a little bit. And then this weekend, just being down there, I I truly... It sounds weak, I guess, on my end, but just the conversations that I personally had, I didn't walk out of there thinking this was definitely going one way or the other. Yeah, and that's what blows my mind. That, I mean, that's what blows my mind. And look, whether, you're, whether your opinion is that he should be gone or that you want to see him come back, I, I'm flabbergasted that we are now 24 hours past the end of the season and we have not heard one way or the other. Like, to me, that's... That's disappointing with the fran- the franchise, the entire organization. Because as I've said on this podcast before, and I'm of the mindset that all three people should go. I think that this what has happened with the Phillies to finish in fourth place after spending half a billion dollars on players um, and to not have a farm system that's ready to supplement the organization and, and really be able to compete. You look at teams like the Yankees who had worse injury situation than the Phillies had this year, and they still won over 100 games um, because they had the depth in the organization. It was well put together. To, 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 so I think all three of, of um, and starting, starting at the top, uh, I think Andy McPhail, uh, Matt Klintak, and then by – attrition <laughs> down the list Gabe Kapler all should be relieved of their duties um but that's my opinion the fact that the Phillies don't have a public opinion of this yet makes me think that they're that they're going to screw it up and what I mean by that is this I think that the Phillies are sitting around saying there's a couple of guys maybe that we would take and let's see if we can get them first. And if we can't, eh, we'll keep Gabe. And But if we can, eh, then we'll fire Gabe and make that call. And I'm not certain that that's the right way to approach it. Because it either makes you... What are, yeah, what are the consequences of doing that? You're I mean, not, he's under contract, so it's not like, oh, we're going to... It's the fallback, right? Yeah. So he's the fallback option at this point. But so, so, Well, I mean, I'm, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like if, you, if you're looking at it, let's just say that they have a list and say it's Madden... Girardi, nobody else, Kapler. All right, I mean, I, you, we could bring up Buck Showalter because he coached for the Orioles where these guys were at before. That's a possibility too. But I'm just saying, let's just say, just for, for kicks, that it's Madden, Girardi, Gabe. That order, that is their preference. The, 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 the fallout of that is because you have the security blanket of a guy already in place, maybe you're not aggressive enough to go get the guy that you want. If you want Joe Madden, go get Joe Madden. Does, does John Middleton strike you as a guy that's willing to be aggressive to get the guy that he wants? Well, he did. He, yeah. he went and got Harper, right? But the, but the, here's, the, here's the difference, though. In this, in, in this environment, so with Harper, there, was, there wasn't a lot of competition, right? This is an environment where there are seven openings, potentially, in Major League Baseball for managers right now. And Joe Madden's going to be on the top of the list for every team. You know, and he's going, to, he's going to basically pick where he wants to go. And it's most likely going to be driven by a couple of things. One, who's willing to pay him ridiculous money, uh, stupid money, dare I say. And secondly, uh, what situation fits best for him to have an opportunity to win a championship in the next three to five years, which is what he said that he, was, he wants to manage for about another three to five years. Okay. 
So the Phillies might offer something a little bit better than, say, like the Kansas City Royals, right, who are kind of rebuilding right now, or, or the Pirates, who are a total mess. Okay, so maybe the Phillies are not at the bottom of the list, um, but there's other organizations that are going to be right there with the Phillies in the same competition for him. Let me ask you about Joe Madden, because here's my, my take on him. The manager of the Phillies is an extension of the front office. So if Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail are going to remain in place, does a guy like Joe Madden make sense? Because I don't think he's going to play willing, willing soldier. You know, I don't think he's w- going to play he's that not. role of I'm just simply going to relay the message from the front office. And the thing is, if we're not going to do that and he's going to be his own guy and do what he wants to do, and certainly he'll take that information into consideration, I'm sure. But if you want somebody that's going to have that type of clout and be that strong willed, then what's the point of retaining the front office that you currently have in place? I, well, I agree with you. He, I, I don't think Joe Madden is going to be a Stepford manager anywhere that he goes. I don't think he's going to be an extension of the front office no matter where he goes. He goes to Anaheim. He's not going to be a, a, an extension of that front office. If he goes, if he goes to uh, San Diego, he's not going to be an extension of the front office there. He's going to be his own guy. What I think works here with Madden, and I'm not the biggest Madden guy. I've criticized him in years past when he was the manager of the Cubs and the the Rays. I I almost think he almost blew the World Series for the Cubs with the way he managed the bullpen against the Indians. Um, uh, But uh, the, the thing of it is, is that at least Madden's philosophy is sort of kind of in line with what Clentac and McPhail have. Yeah, for the people out there that are like, well, he's a he's a baseball lifer. He's yeah. an old school kind of guy. He's not. Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, the only the, the biggest difference. I don't want to say the only difference, but certainly the the biggest or most notable difference is that he's had success. Yeah. And he has the ability to say, listen, it, I did it. It worked. I've won. Yeah. You know, I've won everywhere I've gone. So it's just. It, it's funny because like we've had this conversation now for weeks and weeks and weeks and I still come back to it and I assess what the Phillies were and I feel like and, and we're going to talk to Scott and as you said in the next segment here he wrote a story uh, that came out today basically saying was Gabe Kapler uh, dealt a fair hand and uh, it's a great piece and we'll talk to him about that I had wrote uh, last week that I kind of compared Gabe to a real estate agent that mm-hmm. was given this house and it looked really pretty and, and it had all the bells and whistles on the outside. And so people would drive up to it and say, Ooh, look, you know, and that's the equivalent of the Phillies going out and signing Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, getting the hype behind this thing. But then once you get inside of it and you really look at the structure of it, you see that it's flawed and, and you see the, the issues that they had both in terms of injuries in the bullpen and what the starting rotation wasn't. And, it just felt like Gabe was trying to sort of patch holes on the fly as he was showing this thing. You know, he's standing in front of this crack. He's cleaning up this leak. And I just, you said that your your preference is to wipe all three of them out of there. And that's, again, I, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with that. I just come back to what I said the last two weeks now, which is if you retain Andy McPhail and you retain Matt Klintak and the important players of this front office and Gabe Kapler is the fall guy, good luck to the next guy. Yeah. Because guess what? Joe Madden's not fixing that. No. And Joe Girardi's not fixing it either. The only thing I could say to that, Bob, and I agree with you, but the only thing I can say to that is if this is, in fact, a John Middleton call, that the managerial change is happening regardless of what Matt Klintak and Andy McPhail say, that 
they if they want to stay in the positions that they're in, that they have to get in line with what Middleton wants. That's the kind of you know what I'm saying. Like that's the only thing that I can say to that. That's your keep your you guys are going to be allowed to keep your jobs because you're coming along. It reminds me of when uh, when Ed Snyder was the owner of the Flyers to make my uh, hockey comparison, um, and he wanted something. Management had to go along with it. You know, they signed a goalie for that they're still paying today to not play for them um, because the owner wanted that goalie, not because it was the right move for the team, but that's what the owner wanted. And so it could well be that those guys will only keep their jobs because they're willing to do what the owner wants them to do. It's interesting because I could see Matt Klentak falling into that and saying, well, you know, I'm a GM of a pretty high profile team. I will, I'll do what you want me to do. What does 66-year-old Andy McPhail have to gain from that hypothetical? You're right. I, I don't see it, you You're, know? So, yeah. and that's what's fascinating about how this is playing out. Because if if really the situation is that a decision hasn't been made, and these are internal conversations that are ongoing, the dynamics of those conversations and, and who has what power right now and whose input truly matters in this process, it's... um. The possibilities are just unbelievable. Well, here's one that I'm another thing that really blows my mind. Even if you even if you want to wait another couple days to make a decision on the manager, how's Chris Young still have a job today as the pitching coach? Especially after Matt Gelb's uh, story that came out last week or at the end of last week. Yeah, it was uh, Matt and uh, and Megan Montemuro. Yeah. Yeah, the two of them did it together. Um, especially after that story comes out, which basically said that the pitchers are not on board with this. Yeah, I mean, I guess the takeaway that I had from reading that was that the information was good. Yeah. And that there was in there was value in what that in what he was bringing to the table, but the implementation of it Correct. was was lacking. And for those of you that didn't see the story, you know, uh, Matt Gelb and Megan Montemora of the Athletic, they had spoken to uh, at least a dozen different sources uh, throughout the organization and kind of came to this conclusion that you know, there was a disconnect between Philly's pitchers and and the staff. And I heard an interview with Gelb, okay, where he talked a little bit about some of the things that the some of the sources said. And so it became quite apparent in this interview that a, a good number, maybe not all, but a good number of the sources were actual players on the team, okay? Um, which you never know. I mean, the way it was written, it could have been yeah, sure. could have been anybody, right? But 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 from the interview that Matt did, and he says, "Listen, he says you have to protect." And this is this is a little bit journalism one hundred and one. But you have to protect these players and not put some of what they're telling or a lot of what they're telling you into the story, so that it doesn't. Because he, he said somebody told me something <laughs> that excuse me that if I put it in there, you would have known right away who it was. Right. And he says, "So I can't." write that you know but that's that tells you right away so if the players are that unhappy with the approach that the pitching coach had and even if you like even if you're organizationally you like chris young's work ethic you like the research that he does can you find him another just reassign him have that plan in place at least and say yeah you know doesn't work with him as a pitching well coach. i mean do you expect them to make if they really don't know what they're doing, do you expect them to announce the firing of Chris Young today ahead of of subsequent moves? I mean, you could. To me, I just think you could. They fired John Maley in the middle of the season. Sure, sure. But at this point, I think whatever they do probably is just going to come out in one packaged release. It could. 
It could, but I mean, do you need to have a press conference to announce Chris Young is fired? I don't think you do. You have to have a press conference if any, if, if it's anything beyond that, beyond that. If it's Gabe or if it's Clentac or if it's McPhail, yes, then a press conference is needed. But you're just talking about a pitching coach? Yeah, yeah, you could just make a quick announcement. I think it would be fine. And it also would buy you a little bit of time, too, on the, on the, other, on the other stuff as well. I don't know. I, to me, I think that, uh, yes, and, and I'm, I'm a lot like the fan base. In that I want some, I want some instant gratification, right? I want some, I want to know. I don't, I don't want to wait. I don't like waiting. Well, it's so, I, so like I, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised we haven't heard, boo. Like not even like it's like a sourced thing. So you throw out the scenario that perhaps they were uh, evaluating these these recently guys like Joe Madden, guys like Joe Girardi. Perhaps they're evaluating do they want to make a hire here versus retaining Gabe Kapler. The other possibility is that they plan to retain him they want to wait a good 72 hours or so let people kind of settle down a little bit let some of the disappointment wash away let everybody catch their breath and then they come back to the table and say we're, we're gonna run it back again next year at the same group. Fr- friday at five o'clock they send it they yeah, uh, i don't it- know that they quite go friday <laughs> five o'clock news stuff but i don't know if they were going to make that announcement I think they'd probably be better served doing it on on Wednesday or Thursday than as opposed to today. I I will say that. Yeah. Now you're you're you you are probably right about that. But I mean, like I like I look at the Angels who fired Brad Osmus after one season, okay, as, as the manager, and it, really when you think about what the Angels went through this year, um, you know, with with the death of Tyler Skaggs, who was probably like the heartbeat of that clubhouse. Um, and the way that he had to kind of manage through that. Plus, they had a bunch of injuries as well. I mean, Trout missed time too, and other they had a bunch of guys. And that uh, demonstrates the nature Upton, of the business. Upton missed you know, a you, lot of you time. You could make a lot of excuses for him and say, "Well, he deserves, or he doesn't deserve to be fired." But but the thing of it is, is that they look at it and say, "They there's somebody else out there that they want," so they're going to let be, let it be known right away that we want something better than what we have, or something that we perceive to be better than what we have. And so they fired their manager. Whether it's fair or not, and again, we're, we're not out there watching every Angels game. I'm not breaking down Brad Ausmus's managerial decisions in-game, okay? Although he's an American League manager, he's not as much to scrutinize with a DH in the lineup. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we're not breaking that down uh, like we are with Gabe Kapler and the Phillies every day. But so, you, so we could easily just say one way or the other that it's, it, that it's, it's either unfair or it's fair. The fact is, is that the Angels have recognized that they want something better than what they have, and so they made the they made the announcement today. And that's so good on good on the Angels for for taking that tact. Let me ask you this: Bryce Harper came out with what I would say was a less than ringing endorsement of Gabe last week, but then when he spoke yesterday, uh, I thought he backed him uh, reasonably. Backed him. JT Realmuto spoke well of Gabe. Uh, Jake Arietta came out and, and sounded pretty positive regarding the job that the coaching staff did. Do you think, and this is more just, uh, you know, every situation's different, so I'm just mm-hmm. going to draw on your experience as a reporter here and what you know. Yep. Were those words hollow? Were those words meaningless? Or do you think they would have gone to the extent they did yesterday I, I, to, to back him if they didn't really feel I'm gonna answer. Way? I'm going to answer this right now, but I want, I want you to ask that same question to Scott Lauber because Scott obviously having – been around the block for a while as well doing this. I, I'm curious to see if he gives a similar answer to what I'm about to say. I don't think that they necessarily ring hollow, but what I think that those answers are 
are indicative of players just not quite. I mean, they have a different interpretation of what their clubhouse atmosphere and culture is than what people who see it from the outside. You know, like they think everything's great and hunky dory yeah, and wonderful. We're of course, we're of doing course, it right, right. Exactly. Of course, we're pulling for one another. And they, and, they're, and they might not just be saying that. They might be. They might honestly f- really believe that, but it might not really be the case because they're kind of insulated in that. Right? They they live in that little insular world. So to me, hearing them say that, yeah, like the you, the reporters who are down there have to ask the players what they think. I mean, that's you know the, their job to ask that question. But I'm not certain that, that those answers are are what I really want to hear, you know. So I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't take much out of it. I don't know about you, Bob. But I I don't take a lot out of what players say about that unless there's a real problem. Unless there's a damning comment, right? If there's yes. a damning comment, then you sit there and say, all right, there's an issue here. But if they just kind of just say, oh, everything's great, everything's wonderful, I think it's just because they live in that insulated world. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, we're going to get to Scott Lauber when we get back from the break uh, here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on 610 ESPN Radio. And we'll talk to him uh, all about the the Gabe Kapler situation, where he thinks the, this Phillies organization is headed, uh, and also talk to him a little bit about Reese Hoskins. He did a nice story over the weekend about uh, the, the season that Reese Hoskins had, the forgettable season that Reese Hoskins had, especially in the second half. And we'll get to that on, uh, right after the break here on Crossed Up on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the Y. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the Y as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the Y. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. And we are back on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. I'm forced to stand up for this segment, Bob. 
I, I was struggling there at the end. I mean, you might have heard me struggling through what I was trying to say because I was sitting in the chair and suffering through a horrible cramp in my <laughs> left thigh. And I'm trying to just work it out there during a break, and I cannot. I'm like, it's like tightening up right now. You're a true warrior. This You're is awful. Here. This is terrible. <laughs> I've never had this happen before. Just sitting down and having a, having my thigh cramp up on me. I, you know what? Let's I'm, let's just go to Scott because yeah, th- thank God we're getting some help here. Scott Lauber's going to come in and, and save the day, at least for me for for a while. But before before we talk any baseball, Bob, I don't know if you know this, but Scott Lauber and I. Back in the day, got got our sports writing chops. Uh, we, we did it doing the American Hockey League with uh, when I was covering the Philadelphia Phantoms and Scott was com- covering the Binghamton Senators. Wow! And uh, we used to do uh, they, they, you know, it was a great rivalry between the Flyers so and the, the, yeah, like uh, the Phantoms. Frank Bialowski's days, or uh, well, it was right after Frank okay. Bialowski, right. right after Bialowski. Uh, but uh, some great games up in that old barn in Binghamton, which I actually flew to one year. I didn't even realize how close of a drive it was, and I actually flew from Philly to Binghamton. Um, but uh, Scott and I had a good uh, good time covering hockey. Then, of course, he went on to bigger and better things, going to Boston covering the Red Sox. And you're sitting here with me. And I'm sitting here with you. And then he comes back down to Philly, uh, and he's covering the, covering the Phillies now at the Inquirer. Scott, thanks for joining us, pal. Hey, I was going to say, before that wonderful introduction, I was going to make a point to bring up that uh, if it's the end of September, you and I should be in in an AHL training camp, shouldn't we? (laughs) We should be watching watching a little hockey rather than talking baseball. I think this is the time of year that you and I normally ran into each other quite a bit. Yes. yeah, AHL seems like a lifetime ago, it, doesn't it? It does. It does seem like a long time ago. Uh, but what doesn't seem like a long time ago, my friend, is uh, the the end of the Philly season. It, it's it's just kind of boy, boy, where are we? Eighty one and eighty one. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, even even during the you know the stretches of the season where they were so inconsistent, I don't think anyone ever ever saw them falling all the way down to a five hundred club. And yet it it, it ended up happening. Um, and there's a myriad of things, a myriad of reasons that we can get into. Um, but you put out a, a really interesting story today or this morning uh, on Inquire.com, um, basically because so many people want the manager fired in this town. So many fans are calling for it, whatever. They're lighting up the phone lines on talk radio. But you basically put out a story that said, is it possible that, uh, that Gabe was just kind of you know, dealt a bad hand? And so I wanted to ask you about that. You know, what is your thought process on it? Did, has the manager kind of been dealt a bad hand here and maybe uh, doesn't deserve the, the criticism that he gets? You know, it's funny. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot over the past, especially the past week or so, as, as I tried to read the tea leaves and figure out whether the manager is going to be back or not and should he be or shouldn't he be and all of those things. And one of the things I kept coming back to was the day, uh, the day that everyone came back from the all-star break. And it was the last day we heard from Andy McPhail. And that was the, the infamous, you know, if we don't, we don't comment about um, whether, you know, uh, about making the playoffs four years into their rebuild, which was their stated goal and all of those things. And it was part of a larger, um, that, that's, that's, sort of the soundbite that's gotten so much of the attention over the last two and a half months, but it was part of a larger answer and a larger conversation really about what they were going to do with the trade deadline. And McPhail made it pretty clear that day that, you know, even though they came back from the break and I think they were 47 and 43 and they had a half game lead for the second wild card that 
they didn't look like a team that was one piece away from winning the World Series. And because of that, they weren't going to be real bold or real aggressive at the trade deadline. They weren't going to trade any of their assets from their farm system. And really, it's four guys. It was Alec Bohm, Spencer Howard, Adam Hazley, and Mickey Moniak, who they weren't going to move. And, you know, they were going to make moves around the edges that they thought made sense, but they weren't really going to go for it, right? And I've, I've thought a lot about that day, and I've thought about it in the context of if they fire Gabe Kapler, they are in essence firing him because they missed the playoffs in 2019. And yet the people who will be in charge of hiring the next manager were the same ones who sort of punted on 2019, at least a little bit, right? I mean, they weren't all in. Uh, on winning this year, and the manager is the one who's going to take the fall for not winning it this, for not making it into the playoffs this year. So it just didn't seem to line up, right? And I, I sort of wonder, um, you know, when we have a chance uh, to talk to McPhail and Clintac this week, and we'll have a resolution on Gabe Kapler if if they decide to move on from their manager. You know, I do think that the uh, you know, management's going to have to really answer the question of like, what were your, you know, what were your, uh, your goals for the season, especially once the middle of the year rolled around and they had all the injuries and looked like a team that was, you know, a fringe wildcard team rather than a division team, a division title contender. And what were your goals? What was your mission? And, and if your mission was to sort of take the long view, why did the manager get punished for not succeeding in the short term? So yeah, you, you know you had the said, answer to the question is is that they just that there's another manager out there that they like better, great, you know, go hire that guy. But if you're gonna make a change just to make a change, that doesn't seem right. Yeah, you had said that they had sort of punted uh on twenty nineteen. I would say not only did it it seemed like the front office punted on twenty nineteen at that point, but I would say they were the most responsible factor uh for how this season played out. Like my position has always been that and I said this to you yesterday, actually, when we were talking. I said, I don't know if, if Gabe is a, a good manager or not because I don't think that he's been given the the tools to succeed. I don't know how you can honestly evaluate a manager with a bullpen that's comprised of, you know, other teams' castoffs and a rotation that just at no point this season was ever even league average, frankly. Um, so I, I guess my my sense is that he should be back if the front office is back. I guess that's that's kind of where I've been for the last few weeks. I, I want to ask you, and I, I know that there's a lot of different layers to this question, but, I mean, if it were, I'll simplify it. If it were up to you, how would you play this? Well, look, I think what you're saying is the reason why a lot of what we've heard from Matt Klintak is, you know, injuries, 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 right? Like, I don't think Matt Klintak's walking in to John Middleton's office to make a recommendation that they fire Gabe Kapler. If anything, he's explaining that they suffered so many injuries that Gabe Kapler uh, did well to keep them in it as long as he did. Um, because if if he says anything other than that, he's going to be made to account for why the rotation wasn't stronger and why they weren't more proactive about going out in May or June and getting Dallas Keuchel or why you know they weren't um, – more aggressive at the trade deadline, all of those things. Um, so it's, you know, both reasonable, I think, given the amount of injuries they had, and also convenient for Matt Klentak to point to injuries and say the manager did as well as he could under the circumstances. 
Do you have so, any sense? You know, I, do you have any sense at this point uh, which direction this this may on uh, you know eventually go? I mean, I I've uh, moved closer to thinking that Gabe Kapler is going to end up taking the fall for this, just because they didn't come out today and say he's our guy, uh, or last night after the game and say, you know, he's coming back for another year. I think the longer John Middleton has to think about this, and it's ultimately going to be his call. The longer he has to think about this, the more um, he's going to think about, you know, making a change. And and uh, and where do you make a change? Well, the easiest thing to do is to not bring back the manager with one year left on his contract who's never been popular with the fans. So, you know, you'll give the fans sort of their, their pound of flesh by firing the manager, and you'll go hire a guy who you think is going to do a better job, and and then it's on the front office to give him more to work with. So ultimately, I, I think that's how it's going to shake out. But, you know, as I said, I mean, I know Matt Klintak is, is pointing to injuries and all the things that happened to them and saying that under the circumstances, the manager did well to keep them in it. And I, I could I could see them turning around and coming out in a press conference this week and saying exactly that and bringing them back. So I'm leaning toward not, uh, but... I could see it going the other way, too. I know it's only been 24 hours, Scott, but are you surprised we haven't heard anything one way or the other at this point? Uh, Yes and no. I mean, I think that there are a few potential reasons for it. Um, You know, they might be having meetings today. They might be uh, be, uh, just sort of, you know, meeting organizationally and talking about it. Somebody brought up to me this really good point uh, that today is – Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Gabe Kapler is Jewish. Now, he would manage a game today if they had one. So I don't understand why, if you're going to make a move with the manager, um, you know, that's going to factor into it. But maybe, you know, maybe they don't want to risk offending people by firing someone on the Jewish holiday. Who's, huh. It didn't stop the Angels with Brett Ausmus, who <laughs> I believe is also Jewish. Right. Um, so, you know, I, maybe that's a factor for them. Uh, who knows? But, um I don't know. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to drag on. You know, I don't think we're going to be sitting here on Thursday and Friday going, what's the, what's going on. I think we'll get a resolution sooner than later, but there could be a number of factors, you know, mostly I think, you know, they're probably still going through a series of meetings and, you know, look, I think if you're going to fire him, you want to have a list in hand of who you're going to go after. And, you know, maybe they're hashing that out as well. Like, you know, can we do better than this? So, a lot of people think that Joe Girardi is going to the Cubs now that that job's open. A lot of people think Joe Madden's going to the Angels. Um, it's where he got his start as a coach. It's kind of a – I know he's from Hazleton, but he's kind of like got a – you know, a lot of people think he's got this laid-back Southern California kind of cool about him, so it might play well there. Um, you know, so if, if those two guys go to those two places, well, what does that leave you with? You know, is Buck Showalter someone you want to take a run at? Um you know, maybe they're just sort of trying to figure out whether they can really do better if they decide to move on from Gabe Kapler. So let me ask you this. Um, yesterday, we, we heard from Jake Arrieta. I believe uh, Matt Breen had uh, Jake, and uh, JT Real Muto has, has kind of spoken on behalf of uh, Gabe Kapler recently. And, and Bryce, uh, I, I know last week didn't, I wouldn't call it a glowing endorsement by any stretch, but then yesterday seemed to be a little bit more positive regarding uh, the coaching staff's performance and, and what he thinks of them. 
do you uh, and I asked Anthony this before the break. Do you put any stock in that at all, or is that just a? Or is everyone just being polite? And then you know, if they were to go to those guys individually behind closed doors, the message might be a little bit different. Or is that something that you know should be taken into consideration? Their public comments. Yeah, no, I put stock in in what they in what they tell John Middleton when he asks them those questions that we asked them yesterday. I, I don't I don't necessarily put a whole lot of stock into their public answers that they gave to us. I'm not saying that their answers are going to be a whole lot different when they mm. sit there with the owner, if they sit there with the owner and, and he asks, so what do you think? Because I don't know that any of them have any reason, per se, to throw Gabe Kapler under the bus or, or, or to say, uh, yeah, this guy's got to be gone. I mean, what did he ever do to, you know, Real Muto or Harper or, or even Arietta for that matter, to make them have that reaction other than just, you know, in the case of the two position guys, put them in the lineup every day and turn him loose and lean on him i mean he's he's known as a player's manager for for kind of kind of for a reason i think he i think he seeks their input on a lot of things i think they appreciate that i i don't know that he's given any of the more prominent players on the team a reason to go into the owner and say got to get rid of this guy so my sense and i could be wrong but my sense all along has been that if and when middleton asks guys like harper and real muto what do you think you know, I think that they're going to basically say, hey, look, you know, I'm cool with him coming back. If you think you can, if you think you need to make a change, I'm cool with that, too. Like, I, I don't know that anyone's going to, you know, stand on a chair and demand that this is their manager for forever, you know, you know, for as long as they're here. But I don't think that they're going to say, <laughs> this guy's got to go. Either. I'm picturing, oh, captain, my yeah. captain right there <laughs> from, right. Uh, right? Well, that's, not, that's not going to happen, is it? No, no, I don't. I, look, I, I'd be surprised if, you know, Harper was like, "I'll only play for this guy," you know. But but he has no reason to say I won't play for him either. So yeah, you know, I think for those guys, um, you know, ultimately, I think what you heard yesterday is probably what the owner is going to hear. I mean, I thought I thought Harper, um, you know, when he said, "Look, uh, whatever he said, it's not his fault," or was, I mean, I thought that was an honest answer and. I think probably that's the answer that um, a lot of people uh, you might ask would give. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it was his fault. I also, I also think that when you've got a situation where a team was expected to do a lot more than it did, um, you know, very often change has to be made and change falls on the shoulders of, of a manager or a coach, especially one who's going into the last year of his contract. So one last thing before we let you go, uh, you wrote a really good story about Reese Hoskins, and obviously he had a, a horrendous finish this season. I believe he hit 180 uh, over his last 71 games. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you had uh, put in that story was basically that there's been some speculation that they may look to trade him this winter, and, and you didn't really see it going that way because he's one of the, the organization's few, really, uh, one of their few success stories. Um I guess the question that I would have for you is what do you make of Reese Hoskins 2019 season, the way it started, just the prolonged slump. Is this more of a product of a guy that just had never gone through anything like this before not being able to get back on track or is there legitimate reasons for concern about what he is moving forward? I, I look, I think probably a little of both. Um, I think there has to be um, a, some reason for concern, right? I mean, he went through a slump for two and a half months, you know, I mean, he was a, he was a completely different 
better the second half than he was the first. You could argue uh, he was their best hitter in the first half of the season, and you could argue that, you know, if not for the fact that first base was such a stacked position in the National League this year, that that he should have been an all-star. Um, he was that good in the first half. And in the second half, you could say he was one of the worst hitters in the league. And, and by the numbers, he was. And by the eye test, he was. So, you know, why does a guy who um, who was that good for the first half, and not just the first half, but the first year plus of his career, why does he get into a funk that he can't get out of? And, and that's got to be a, a little bit of a cause for concern. Um you know, I've talked to some scouts. I talked to one scout recently who said, you know, oh, I used to really like this guy, and I don't really like him as much anymore because, you know, I think he's gotten a little bit too full of himself, and, you know, he thinks he's he thinks he's the man and, and this and that. And I don't know. I mean, if you ask me, Reese Hoskins wants to be a leader and wants to be a face of the team and wants to be a spokesman for the team, maybe it's too soon for that, you know. Maybe he's not – ready for that yet maybe he's got to produce a little bit more before he becomes that i'll take a guy who puts it on his shoulders and says you know i want to i want to carry a team maybe he put a little too much pressure on himself this year and maybe it's going to be up to some of the older guys on the team to say like hey dude take it easy you know don't don't put all of this on you we're you know we'll pick you up and just figure it out and get out of it i i you know one of the things that hoskins says when you ask him what went wrong in the second half of the season is i don't know like (laughs) because if I knew I'd fix it and enough time hasn't gone by yet. I mean, the season's a day old where he's had a whole lot of time to sit and think about it and really break it down. Hopefully he'll have some more answers uh, as the off season goes along. But the one thing he does know for sure is that it was a mental grind for him. He admits that. And I think, you know, if the season could have ended two weeks ago for him, he would have been better off. You know, I, I think he couldn't have ended soon enough. He needs to get away and he needs to, kind of take his mind off things and he needs to then get back at it and figure out what went wrong. The one thing he does know is that he got in his own head and he's going to have to find a way to keep that from happening again, because it, it only got worse for him, um, you know, as the year went on. So, you know, I think it's gotta be some concern. Um, you know, he'll, he'll be talked about as in terms of being a trade piece for the simple fact that, you know, he's making, he's making, you know, 600 grand or whatever it is. And, He's not yet eligible for arbitration until even after next year, so the salary really won't get out of control yet. The, and, the thing that I look at, you know, I, I just wonder, like, there's there's 16 games behind the Braves this season, and so, like, in a vacuum, I go, do I want Reese Hoskins on my team? Yes. But they're going to have to do something. If, if they're going down this, this hole where they say, we're going to be competitive, we're, we're committed to winning, we're trying to reach the postseason as soon as next, next year in 2020 – I just don't know where you make up this many games. I mean, what did they finish in the National League this year? Ninth? So they're going to have to leapfrog yeah. three teams within their own division. And, you know, they, they aren't in that, that first tier, and they're probably not even in that second tier as we talk right now. So it's just where where do you make those moves to try to bridge that gap? And And I don't know. And I don't know that it's Reese Hoskins necessarily. And like you said, I think – his mentality, the, the willingness to be the face of the franchise, to, to put it on his shoulders, to take responsibility for his failings are all really encouraging things. And you want a guy that, that wears it like, like he does, but I, I, at the same time, I do wonder, so where are we bridging the gap, you know? What if he's just not that – I mean, what if he's just not as good, right, <laughs> as people thought he was, yeah. you know? I mean, and that's possible. You know, it happened – 
I made the point in the story, it happened so fast for him, you know. I mean, he came up, he hit, you know, 18 home runs in 34 games, um, you know, faster than anybody in history until what, whatever the kid from the Reds came along this year. And, um, you know, then he comes back, and in his first full year, they're in first place halfway through the year, and he's their best player. And, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, he's in the home run derby, and, and so all of that's going on. And, you know, but he, but when you stop and think, I mean, he's only been around. He hasn't he hasn't even been around for three full years yet. You know, and there, you know, that's still like I think the body of work in the big leagues is not even sixteen hundred plate appearances yet. You know, it's it's still kind of like he's really young in his career, and and so maybe he's the third or fourth best player on this team, and no better than that. And that's okay. You know, uh, it's still a valuable player for you, but. You're going to certainly need a whole lot more than you got from him in the second half of the year. And the, like I said, the fact that it was, you know, he got into this slump and it only got worse and worse uh, is, is a little cause for concern and a little cause for worry. I mean, you need, in order to bridge the gap that you're talking about, they need more pitching. They need to really rebuild their, their pitching staff, both the rotation and the bullpen. And short of going and signing Garrett Cole, to put at the top of your rotation with Aaron Nola, and that's something they may wind up doing. You know, maybe you have to trade for a pitcher, and that's why Hoskins' name will come up, because between the salary and the upside and all of those things, even though you're trading low after this horrible second half of the season, you're still going to be able to net something very valuable for him, and, you know, that's why his name will come up. I just I don't see them going in that direction. I don't see them giving up on this guy who's been, who's been you know, kind of the – been made into sort of the face of the franchise or one of the faces of the franchise um, off of one bad second half. So, I mean, I don't think he's going anywhere, but that doesn't mean it won't be talked about. That's Scott Lauber, Philadelphia Inquirer, inquirer.com. Thanks for a wonderful segment. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Really good, good stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to miss you out on the hockey pond this year, Scott. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, you you know, I mean, Maybe you could fill in Maybe for. Maybe make a cameo. Yeah, make a cameo. Carchidi's going to need a day off every once in a while. Just see yeah, a volunteer. Tell the bosses, say, hey, you want me to go down to a Flyers game? We could do a Flyers game. Come hang out. We'll see. Maybe that'll happen. All right. Sounds good. Bring me out on my hockey retirement. There you go. Sounds good. Thanks again, Scott. I appreciate it, bud. Sounds good, guys. Anytime. Well, uh, when we get back from the break, Bob, we got we were a little little late for our our last break. But when we get back, we're going to break. I, I have a con- a question that was. Um, sent to us from a, a loyal listener of the podcast that I'm going to ask. Um, and then we're going to break down our preseason predictions and see how we did looking at the Phillies back in at the end of March, now seven months later, at the end of September. Or um, six months later, I guess it is. Six months later, end of September, uh, and see how we did. Not as cringeworthy as I thought I, it would we, be. I think we did pretty good. I mean, we had a couple that were bad, but... It, I thought we did pretty good. So we'll check those out. We'll check out those predictions when we get back here on Crossed Up on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step, a developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone. They're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies 
a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? And we're back after a quick break there on uh, Crossed Up here on 610 ESPN Radio. All right, Bob, I got a question from one of our uh, regular uh, podcast listeners, uh, at Jason T. Bradley. Uh, asked if we can uh, squeeze this question in because uh, he wanted to call in, but he had to go into work, couldn't call in. He said he wants to hear our response uh, on the pod when he listens later. <clears throat> if both of us could go back at any point this season, starting with the off season, and could make or unmake only one move to alter the course of how this season played out, what would it have been? Wow. And I know what my answer is, but I, I – so I'm going to let you go first just because I don't – I have a feeling we might say the same thing. But I'll let you go first. Well, so the obvious – You're the beat guy. I'll let you go The obvious move that they didn't make was Dallas Keuchel. Okay. Um, in hindsight, I don't think – that would have been the difference. Nope. Uh, certainly would have helped. I would not have. I would have not signed Andrew McCutcheon, which I think is actually a. Uh, That's an interesting take. Yeah, and I think he's a very good player. I think that his skill set uh, fits what this team needs. Yeah, he's a great clubhouse guy, uh, and I'm looking forward to him being in a Phillies jersey next season again and healthy and I think he'll be a productive player for them when he returns but knowing what we know yeah half season or you know a 30 percent of a season from Andrew McCutcheon you know at that salary taking up one of your outfield positions yeah I, I probably I know what yours is so you think you know what mine I is. know what yours is you wouldn't have traded uh, for Gene Segura no that's not mine really not mine at all, all. Right. Uh, just before I give you mine it's interesting that you mentioned McCutcheon because Jason also chimed in with what he says he would undo McCutcheon getting hurt. Oh, okay. Well, if, yeah, well he so said could, if could, I can undo injury. You could yes. undo something that happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I would absolutely agree with him because I think that was – at the time, I knew it was a big deal. I was shocked after the fact by how catastrophic it, that injury right. was in hindsight. Yeah. Yeah, and please don't misinterpret anybody that's listening out there like, oh, he doesn't like Andrew McCutcheon. No, yeah. I think he's a really good player and a great guy, but, you know. All right, my here's my answer. Since he gave us the qualifier, starting with the offseason, so it goes back to last offseason, that's where I'm going to go back to. I give Patrick Corbin the seventh year. Yeah, okay. That, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. To, that's to me the difference. You have that other second pitcher in your starting rotation who you can rely on. Yeah, and then maybe Aaron Knowles not pitching every fifth day with all the pressure in the world on him. He exactly. doesn't lose his final seven starts. And, exactly. And, 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 maybe, the, the, yeah. and maybe the Nationals a, are not as good. That's very, very true. Right? Yeah. And, 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 and you're a better team in the division, and you could overcome an injury like that. Yeah, I actually like yours or. better than mine, so I'll go with yours. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be the one thing I yeah. would undo. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, well, let's look back. Speaking of looking back to the last offseason, we had a a, a program the day before the season started. We put out a podcast, and we made some predictions. I know, Bob, you you wrote them all down, uh, what our fearless predictions were for the 2019 Phillies. And now let's go through them one at a time. What What did we say back on March 27th? 
Well, before we get to those official predictions, uh, we talked a little bit about Bryce Harper and what we expected ah, yes. from him. Yes, that was not an official. You uh, yeah. you had Bryce Harper with 35 home runs, which you hit that right on the head. Right and, on the uh, nose. You had him hitting 240. Yeah. I said, I like the home run total. I have him hitting 260. So we were both pretty – I was Bryce a little Harper low with the lived up average. to our expectations. You know? yeah. So that's, that's one positive that we can take away from this season. Yep. So then we logged these official – Bold predictions. We each did three of them. Your first one was that JT Romuto would have a bigger impact on the 2019 Phillies than Bryce Harper. Uh, and you predicted that he would hit 300, have between 25 and 30 home runs, and 40 doubles. Let me ask you this now. Hmm. Do you think that, and I mean, you were, you were pretty close in terms of the stat line. Do you think that JT Romuto had a bigger impact on the 2019 Phillies than Bryce Harper? Did? Yes, but it, it, mostly, be, not, I shouldn't say mostly, uh, I didn't take into the account the defense and his defensive, the way he caught and threw runners out and everything that added to his value. Um, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, his his war for the season was 4.4, according to baseball reference, which is higher than Harper. Um, and, you know, yeah, he had a, he had the bigger. He was the only All Star, which we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, the only Phillies All Star uh, didn't hit three hundred, only hit two seventy five. But he did have, I said, between twenty five and thirty homers. Hit twenty five. I said forty doubles. He had thirty six. Um, he was a legit, you know, guy. I mean, there was a stretch. Uh, maybe it was in like May or early June where he was struggling pretty mightily. You take that little stretch out of there, he was probably your best offensive player for the for the season. Yeah, so then I came back with uh, who I thought the Phillies' three All-Stars would be, you know, uh, and that was the number we picked, three yeah. All-Stars. Yeah. And I had said Aaron Nola, and his April uh, did that in, right? even though he had a nice rebound in the middle of the year. JT Realmuto, which, which is correct. great. And and then this third one. <clears throat> who? who? Dubal Herrera. Oh, Bob. Now, obviously, <laughs> I did not foresee... His legal situation uh, occurring, but even that being said, Oduble really, really struggled uh, prior to that. So uh, that was a swing and a miss on my end. That's all right. Yeah, yeah can't all be perfect. But uh, here we go. Next one. You said that Vince Velasquez would make less starts this season than Jared Eikhoff, which was incorrect. It was incorrect. Uh, I said that Vince Velasquez would be out of the rotation by June 1st, which was partly correct because he was sent to the bullpen on May 24th, actually a week prior to our deadline. So I was right on the money there. But uh, Vince obviously made a return to the rotation uh, shortly thereafter, and uh, I guess he's stuck there for the rest of the year. Yeah, Uh, he finished with, what, 23 starts? By the way, just real quick, I know we're we're short on time, and I do want to get through the rest of these predictions, but one thing that Gabe said before the game on Saturday, he talked a little bit about how Zach Eflin had separated himself from the rest of the Phillies' young arms, meaning Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez. I thought Gabe's comments were really interesting and something I I meant to touch on earlier in the show. He had said that that Zach right now has shown over a longer period of time that he can be a part of a a winning major league rotation, which I would agree with. And we had talked about this as well, that he could be a fifth starter type uh, on a good team. Then he said that, you know, Vince, they still have to have some conversations about meaning that he could still be part of our plans. This is my interpretation. He could still be part of our plans next season. And he said that Nick um, would need to – he's got some things to figure out. And, you know, he said that he's going to go out to California, work out with some other major league pitchers this offseason, and and try to grow and and fix some things physically and and mentally. And 
it was this not it was not the first time that there's been this I guess hint that they weren't pleased with Nick Pavetta's uh, overall you know mental makeup and maturity this season and I'm just gonna double down on what I said uh, a couple weeks ago on this show which is I think that he's on his way out yeah I don't think Nick Pavetta's back next he's a change of scenery year. candidate yeah. yeah and so my uh, there was my swing and miss that was my bad prediction I had uh, Eikhoff with more starts than Velasquez Velasquez had 23 Eikhoff had 10 but you redeem yourself uh, oh. by saying that Scott Kingery would be the most underrated player on the team. Uh, you called him a Ben Zobris type. You said he would get between 400 and 450 plate appearances. He had 500. You said he'd hit 270, and he was actually well above that for for quite some time yep. uh, and then tailed off at the end. Finished 258. And, uh, you know, but by and large, you were you were right on with that. I mean, he he was extraordinarily valuable to this team, and you cited his versatility, and you thought he'd be back in that role again this year, and that, that certainly played out that way. Uh, and then I closed with Hector Neris would have a better season than Sir Anthony Dominguez, which was pretty successful, I would say. Yeah. And, and that really, again, I uh, the injury was something you have to consider there, but um, you know, Dominguez really struggled in his short time actually yeah. out on the mound this season. One of the things that I was concerned with was the decline in fastball velocity that we saw in the spring, and, and it really never came back uh, while he was on the mound. Now, maybe that was related to his injury issues, but... Could have been. Uh, certainly a concern, and, and one of the big storylines next season will be what is Sir Anthony Dominguez. You know, the Phillies are going to have to obviously add to their bullpen considering the injuries that they have that will trickle into next season, uh, and it just wasn't good enough in 2019. So... What is Sir Anthony Dominguez? Is he a guy that they can count on to pitch meaningful outs in high leverage situations in the seventh and eighth innings? Or is he a guy that at this point you really can't rely on too much and, and just hope for the best? I think he's just a guy. Personally, I think he's just a guy with a live arm and maybe he's, you know, he's middle relief guy. I don't think he's anything more than that. I don't think he's a setup man. I don't think he's a, you know, yeah. crunch time guy. I think he's just a guy. But. And uh, the uh, last thing was just uh, you had the Phillies finishing in third place behind Atlanta and Washington. Uh, I had him finishing in second place. Uh, neither of us had them in the postseason, though. Yeah. So, I mean, we're disappointed now uh, that they weren't in the postseason, but we weren't necessarily surprised by the outcome either. Yeah. Although I was surprised on a weekly basis about how inconsistent and how underwhelming they, they played from basically June 1st onward. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Bob, uh, another season in the books. This is our second, second full year of uh, doing Crossed Up. Uh, another successful campaign for us. Something I, tells me we're going to have another podcast later in the week. Yeah, we probably yeah. will. Um, and uh, next Monday, uh, we'll probably probably be back here. Although Ryan Lennox is kind of iffy about it, our producers giving us a little wants to uh, fire up that Flyers talk with Russ Joy. Well, yeah, he wants to he wants to bring the he wants to bring Snow the goalie in. I know that's going to be happening soon. That will be uh, we'll be getting Snow the goalie in here on six ten as well, and Ryan will be our producer for that as well. Which you know what, having Ryan and Russ together in the same room that ought to be a real joy. I have a feeling he's I have a feeling Ryan's going to love Russ. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. He's an acquired taste. <laughs> Hey, Bob, you said it on the air, not me. Uh, thanks to Ryan for doing the show. Uh, we'll be, like I said, we'll be uh, coming up uh, later this week probably with an updated podcast uh, letting you know what's going on with the Phillies. And then we'll see you back here in studio next week. Enjoy the regular ESPN programming here on 610 ESPN Radio.